Episode 42, Building Authentic Connections with Priscilla Shelp. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today, Michelle, myself, and our guest, Priscilla Shelp, discuss the importance of building authentic connections with others, how to recognize those connections, and how to deal with the fear of rejection. Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection, and in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at MacklinConnection.com. Welcome to the story in your head. We have our, a special guest today, Priscilla. Priscilla, could you just give us a short introduction of who you are and what you're up to? Yeah. Hi, Ron Michelle. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm Priscilla. I'm Swiss German. I'm based in Frankfurt. And yeah, my main baby currently is my startup. So it's called Networks and we do AI-based pre-qualification for exclusive clubs. And, but I'm also doing moderation, keynote speaking finishing up my PhD and other other things. So never getting bored. Yeah. Thanks. So I'm really curious, right? You said your your new company networking. What is it about networking and connecting that like why did you start your company? What inspired you to do that? What was missing in the world? Okay, that's, uh, that's a big That's thing. a lot of questions. I, my apologies. <laughs> I was like 14 of them. So pick one you like. <laughs> I, go I, with I that. think um, there are two aspects. Uh, one thing that I found myself that I, I like people. And if I meet people, I want to, I'm interested in what drives them, what their goals and visions are. And I try to contribute. So I always try to think, okay, can I support with that? And you yourself as one person, you're very limited in what you can give. I mean, you have your own knowledge and your own expertise. And I figured if I connect people with each other, um, so, so if I don't work just with my own knowledge and, and, and expertise, I can provide so much more. And I found that opportunity really fascinating to be able to, you know, provide value by pulling other people into the whole thing. And so that was a one aspect. And I wanted to make a business out of it. However, a business where I don't use people because my mission is to support people. And that was really hard. So I was thinking for quite a couple of years what to do. And then basically I'm in a lot of private member clubs and so on because I, I won an award and then I joined when I moved around the world for my jobs, I, I joined others and I, I figured I'm usually the youngest and I'm one of very few women. And well, I was kind of noticed that and it was just years later when this, the club started complaining that we need younger people or we have too many people for, of one kind that I thought, okay, maybe there could be a business opportunity. And I started exploring it. Great. Can I just do a quick follow-up? How do you figure out what person goes to what club? You mean the current members of the clubs or? Yeah. Well, you kind of said, right, the a club is looking for new members. Yeah. Right. And how do you figure out, how do you connect them? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a bit tricky because these clubs are exclusive. 
So they will not go out there and say, hey, we need members because it makes them look desperate and not exclusive, right? So that's one thing. The other thing is they are also limited by their referencing mechanisms. So usually exclusive clubs, to ensure quality, you need references of two members of the club. And But for example, let's say you have three lawyers and they usually you get members then through other members and then you have nine lawyers and then you have 20 lawyers. And so it's like some of these clubs then have problems that they get to unbalance regarding gender, regarding industry or regarding age. And they can't solve the problems themselves. And basically, my company with the algorithms is replacing this reference mechanism. So obviously, the clubs do the, the, the final assessment if they want to have a person. But yeah, that's basically what, what, what I'm doing. Yeah. Thanks, Priscilla. So why do you think that having an authentic connection is important? Okay. Am I allowed to ask questions back? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> We've, we're ready. So may, I, may I ask you, so if let's assume you're having a non-authentic connection, what does it give you? I'll go. So what it gives me is casual conversation, nothing of much importance or significance, not really any help. It's more of just somebody to talk with or talk to, but it's all on the, what I, I would call on the surface. Like it's not really helping mm. you or changing you or being in that space with you. That's what occurs for me when I say I have an inauthentic connection. I mean, it keeps you busy. Yeah, you can spend time and get distracted, definitely. But the main reason why we want to have authentic connections and, and we need it, and it's the only way, is that we don't feel lonely. We need to feel that we belong somewhere, that someone cares about us. And that's actually important for survival, and you see, like, if people are alone, they get depressed and, 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 you know, suicide rates go up, people get sick. I read a study some time ago. If you look at a prison, for example, you have the highest death rate in isolation cells. And it, it's for us, it's like, it's not just food and water. It's basically having, and that's why there's a term called social health. Nowadays, you hear, hear it more and more often, especially after COVID, is uh, we need that. It's, it's, it's for us, it's like water. Like if you don't have authentic connections, it's like it destroys us. I, I, I think it's really necessary to, you know, live and, and be happy. And yeah. What, what is your, like, if you're going to give somebody a guidance, like the first step to have an authentic connection, what, what would your first step be? It's something that is often overlooked and maybe kind of skipped, but you need to have authentic connection with yourself. And that's, it's easy, easily said. And it's something I think we are never done with or finished with, but it's something like loving, you need to love yourself and be somehow happy with yourself because otherwise you go out there and you, you are looking for people to fix you or fix your problems, solve your needs. And then it's not an authentic connection but it's basically it's like codependency and that's that's what i believe (laughs) great thanks yeah so how do you recognize an authentic connection i think for yourself if you are a person and you are looking you are assessing a relationship with another person i think you need to ask yourself do i need the person because it, the person gives me something I am denying to give myself. I think that's something where you can assess for yourself if you are 
giving an authentic connection. I mean, it's always both sides. I think the other ways around, I really believe a lot in gut feel. So I'm a Swiss German. We tend to be rational. And I was like very smart when I was young and always like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm smart. I'm rational. I'm making rational decisions. I'm nowadays completely opposite, not in the way that I'm irrational, but you feel it and you need to train your feeling. More often you, you, you listen to your gut feel and well, if it's not good and you do it, you usually kind of get punched, right? And if you trust your gut feeling, it's good. It's usually it's, it's right. And I think that's the best indicator probably. You're thinking, do you want to add something? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I got it. So when, let's say, I, like I accept the, your gut, right? Cause there's a, we have a nervous yeah. system in our, in our gut and that tells us like if it's what we should do or not do. And when you get punched, like, cause you do it to yourself kind of, right? So what do you do to help yourself or to help somebody else when they've done that to themselves? If you did not listen to your gut feel and then you're, you're disappointed. Yes. So I, I think the first thing is you need to forgive yourself because the main reason why you are upset in that moment is because you are angry and disappointed with yourself because you think you should have known better. And, but that doesn't help you. The only thing you can say, Hey, you know, was maybe not the smart move next time. When I have that feeling, I listen to it and, you know, just to look forward. I think one of the things we need to be, and I mean, I have really high expectations towards yourself. I'm sure you too. So that's not that easy. I think we need to be kinder to ourselves and accept that perfect is not achievable and that's okay. And it's normal to make mistakes as long as we learn and grow. That's, that's basically what I would do. And I would reflect also on possible indicators. I mean, usually if you have, I mean, I'm very kind and giving. And one thing that sometimes happens to me is that I meet people and I end up feeling used because I'm giving and not getting anything back, for example. And then I try to reflect and I try to find that out earlier. So I, I still give because I want to trust people. I think it's an approach. There are different people. Some people say, you need to earn my trust. And at some point, maybe I trust you. And for me, I give trust. And then people mess it up or they don't, right? And it's a approach to life. And then if people disappoint you, you can also reflect and see, okay, where there usually there are warning signs like red flags, and then you can look out for them in the future. Yeah, thanks. I, I love that for giving yourself. And one phrase I repeat back to myself is that I am perfectly imperfect. Uh, because it's <laughs> just, just the way we are. <laughs> yeah, <definitely. laughs> yeah, it help, helps to remind me. I'm just curious, any stories you have where an authentic connection made a difference for you? In in which way? Because there are a lot of people that really made a difference. Maybe one that either way, right? You didn't assess as authentic in the beginning, but it turned out to be, or just something that would help our listeners sort of in like, what does that really look like when you have an authentic connection? What happens in the connection between you and that person? I can tell you one story. I met my mentor. She's a very, very cool lady when I was living in Singapore. And I met her at like an alumni meeting from my university. And she was basically on a business trip from London in Singapore, jet lagged and said, Oh, well, you know, I'm just, so she was standing around. No one was talking to her. And I went there and she was just really happy that someone was speaking to her. She didn't know anyone. And especially if you're on higher level. So she was in the board of a company 
then you're always worried about the people working for you. Do they have a real interest in you or are they, you know, using you or trying to make a good impression? And we, we talked and then she asked me if I can show her around. And I said, yes. And what happened is like, I did not realize on the day where I was supposed to meet her, friends of mine got me a VIP ticket for like a concert of Martin Garrix, like super big thing. And I decided, like, I was not sure what to do. My, my friends were upset because I, I, I can't, I, I basically let the VIP ticket go to, you know, with this lady, we, we stayed briefly in contact and then we met again when I moved to London and so on. And there was at the beginning, no expectation. We just had a great time. We just spoke, but I felt, and at that's the point, if you have a person and you have an authentic connection, there are no expectations involved is I don't try to get anything. The other person doesn't try to get anything, but you just really try to get to know the person because you find the person interesting and you because you feel good. And that's one indicator. It's like if you have an authentic connection, if you appreciate someone, you feel amazing and time flies and you're just happy to have the person around. And that's the most important thing. And everything else, it just develops. And I think the best relationships you can have if you free yourself from these expectations because it will distract you from just enjoying the now and just enjoying the time with a person and letting it grow you know you can't force these things so it, it's also about looking what comes back and the reason why it developed in a beautiful friendship and in uh, a kind of mentor-mentee relationship is because there was continued interest from both sides. Even though we were on different continents and different countries, we were both busy. Yeah, and that's something I don't like. If people are busy, we are all busy. We all have 24 hours. It's about priorities. And that's also one thing is I look, do people talk or people act? And the thing is, if people tell you they care and tell you they want to stay in touch, that's nice. But you need to look as... Do they call you? Do they follow up if they know there's something happening in your life and they ask you, hey, did it go well? And these are little things where you can see, does a person really care about you? And yeah, if, if yes, it's, it's beautiful. And that's also something you need to accept. I think to build authentic connection, there is a risk of rejection. It's not just up to you. You can just go out there and do your part and try to be a good friend and a, a nice person that is, you know, supportive and, you know, the other person enjoys being with. But if the other person sees you that way and values that way, it's not up to you and you need to look and feel. And then if the person appreciates you, that's amazing. Then you have an authentic connection and otherwise you need to let go. And usually it's it does not. And I think that's a hard part. And I had to learn it as well. It does not say anything about your value. It does not mean that there's anything wrong with you. It does not mean that you are not lovable or not good enough. It just, you can't click with everyone. And that's okay. Thanks, Priscilla. Tell me more about the fear of rejection. Like, how do you, because that's one of the things that I, we hold that kind of keeps people from starting relationships, yeah. right? So how do you, how do yeah. you, what's the stories you tell yourself or how do you go about to, to manage that fear of the rejection? There are two things, two components. One, the main reason why we are afraid of rejection is because we are partially rejecting ourselves. And I mean, I, I learned that. I, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but the main thing I had was that I thought, okay, I, I, I always felt I, I, I'm not good enough. 
just by being me, but I need to achieve things. I need to succeed. I need to, you know, get that and do that. And, and then I'm amazing. Well, it works as long as everything is going well. But for example, if then people lose their job or you, for example, for me, I had an accident or you get sick and then you can't perform and you lie on your sofa, you feel like a, like a failure, <laughs> right? So, and so basically if you solve that for yourself and you accept yourself and say, you know, I'm great and I'm great just by being me, it doesn't matter if I'm lying on the sofa with a broken leg or something, or I can't, you know, it's just, I, I lost my job or I lost my partner or whatever. You just need to know that by yourself. And then you're not that dependent on other people telling you that you're awesome all the time. You don't need that. And then you are also okay with another person not seeing your value or not, you know, not clicking with you. That's one aspect. The other thing is a more practical thing. And I think that will hopefully help the people that listen regarding, you know, going out there and just talking to people. The real risk of the perceived risk of rejection is really high. Like basically you go out there and you feel, oh, this person will not talk to me and I will feel like a fool. And you have all the thoughts in your head. But if you really, the, the real risk is really low because most people are happy if you talk to them because that's, they meet you, but they don't have the risk of being rejected because you did the first step. So usually they will appreciate it. So if you realize that, then, you know, you're not that worried anymore because most likely it will go well. Yeah, that's great. I love, and I do this all the time, right? You make up a story about meeting somebody before you've met them. What is your story? <laughs> Sometimes like, well, they're going to reject me, right? Yeah. And I haven't even met the person yet. And you've already like well into, you know, three years from now, this is going to happen because of that meeting. You know, it's just, it's just phenomenal. So I'm just curious for yourself, when you go to meet somebody, what do you tell yourself? How do you open yourself up to not create that amazing little story that at least my mind loves to create before you meet them and before you talk to them? You're making a very, very like super important point. It's like, if you have that thoughts in your head, you are manipulating the situation because whatever you think becomes true. So if you think the person will like me, it will become true most likely and the other way around as well. The reason for that being is I had a speaking coach and she was in the theater. And what they learned was whatever you think translates in muscle movement. And that's what basically you see in like series like lie to me or mentalist or so on that for example there's someone insecure you meet you can sense it it's like a fear that can sniff like a dog that can sniff fear or something you feel it because there are inconsistencies in the way they behave and that doesn't help like that's why i'm always laughing about this rhetoric books that speaking tips take your hands out of your pockets and put your hands on your hips and then you look self-confident. It just doesn't work. So the thing is really like all these things you try to do to hide your insecurities. It's just people will sense it. So, so the only chance you have is actually what you said is that you need to change. And that's why I think it's really important that you do this podcast. You need to change what you tell yourself. And that's the only chance you have that it translates into authentic openness. And for that, I mean, there are different techniques to do that because obviously I'm not always going out there and thinking like I'm amazing and I'm awesome, but you know, you have times or days where you don't feel good and then you can 
you know, go to your bed and cry or you can think about, okay, how can I, how can I change that? And I mean, one thing is that obviously the way if you do sports or the way you have your posture and, and the breathing and meditation, all these things can do some. So basically you can improve from doing things with your physical, with your body. The other thing is that you can tackle your mind. And there are things like I, for example, I have the thing where I have, I write a journal every day and not like dear diary, but I write, for example, what I'm grateful for or who I'm grateful for. And basically, if you feel gratitude, you can't feel fear. So basically, that's an emotion that pushes away the other emotion. That's, for example, one, one thing you can do. Or you can, I mean, there are a lot of things you can visualize that this person you meet is very nice and, and that, you know, you can be just grateful for the new connection. You can make the opportunity and be curious. So one thing I, I think is really important instead of thinking about what might the other person think is focusing on getting to know the person, understanding what basically is their vision, what drives them, what the people love and so on. And then you also, yeah, too occupied <laughs> with that. And you are not thinking about fear. And there are there, yeah, d different, different ways to, you know, trick your mind. What do you do? Like, uh, yeah. So similar, by the way, I just want to go back to the gratitude journal. <laughs> what a great practice. I know a couple of people that have done that and have worked really well. I think I've got to, I'm going to adopt that one. And that gratefulness can negate. That's what I heard sort of fear. Kind of play with that a little bit and, and see what's there. So for me, I think it's pretty similar is curiosity, right? I find that helps me a lot when I meet somebody is to be curious about them, right? No matter what they might say or do to be able to ask into that from a, from a mood or from a, a space of curiosity of getting to know them, right? Of who they really are, their authentic self. So I think that's what's helped me a lot, but they, I'm not enough, right? It's pretty strong of me. So I do work that one on a pretty regular basis. I have a trick for you. Oh, sure. I'm always into tricks. Yeah, I, I don't just write in my journal what I'm grateful for, but also what I love about myself and what what my breakthroughs are. I think if you grow and learn, for example, you, you feel better about yourself. I think people are made to develop. Also, I, I have a vision, like things that drive me that are bigger than myself. So if you are just circling around yourself, then you will also more likely to be anxious or something. But if you have a bigger mission where people benefit from, then then it also gets less to you. And the, the exercise that I find really, or I have two things. One thing is that I ask my friends once to write down what they like about me. So in case <laughs> I have really problems to pull myself up, so like you can look at it and read it. So that's very nice. And the other thing that's important is... I write like my progress and my breakthroughs in here, but also I do that like once a year or every half a year because we are always so busy achieving goals and looking on the gap that I, I'm not sure where I learned that, but there's a, a technique that's called reverse gap that you look, okay, since one year, what did I achieve? What did I do? Because that's something that you immediately forget once you achieved it. And then you get a sense for what you actually did and what you succeeded in and what your progress was. And that makes you feel much better about yourself and to focus on what you need to achieve and what's missing. And that's one thing that really, I think, helps 
Great. Thanks. Lots of great new practices for myself and hopefully some of our listeners. Yeah. I mean, if you have new ones, I'm always happy as well. <laughs> but that's why I listen to your podcast. So, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Priscilla. There's, for me, for, first thing I do is is to notice my fears, like, like they're there, to acknowledge them. And in a way, accept them as they are and as they are not. And that's a form of love. So I love my fears. Yeah. Which takes away their power for me. Yeah. The, the second thing is to create who I am, like to shape that story that's in my head that's always telling me who I am, what I'm doing, what I'm up to. And I can do it where it's a story that's in my head, uh, the story that's in my heart, and the story that's in my gut. And not to be accidental going into conversations, right? Just to drift into it. Yeah. I do know that I can get punched, right? Uh, like I do it to myself or somebody says something and then I do it. But to know that I can recenter and go back to those stories I said before. And the second part is to create whoever I'm going to listen to and whoever I'm going to talk with, to create them too. The self that they are, the person they are, what they're up to, what they've accomplished, what they're trying to do, who I see them becoming in the world so that I see them bigger than smaller. And that way, when they when I'm working with them, I'm always in a space of looking for what is the next great accomplishment they're going to do? What is the next space for them? I think it's beautiful. And that opens up a space for me to connect with them at a different level. And the, the saying I have for myself is to remember to inform my face that I'm enough and so are they. And we're going to do great things. Yeah. And because that facial expression, our bodies, that, that body language, which can easily be overlooked, is ever bit as important as spoken language, if not more. And we only shape that, we shape our face, facial expressions and everything with the stories in our head. That's true. And I think, I mean, a lot of times it's not always true, but you see someone's face. And for example, if I look at you, I see kindness, you know, and it's, I then get warm feelings around my heart <laughs> because I, you know, it, it's like if you are like that and if you see the good in yourself and other people, people feel it and it touches, it touches me at least. And I think it's beautiful. And I, I think what you do is beautiful because I think the biggest thing you can give to people is to make them feel loved and appreciated. And, you know, basically it's just accepting and, and loving them how, how they are. I mean, it's not always in real life. You sometimes, you know, you need to remind yourself to do that. <laughs> but I, I think it's, a, it's a great mindset to be in. And yeah, it's, I think it's worth to really always observe that you stay also in that mindset. And I think for that, it's really important also the people that are around you. So I think it's good that you have the two of you, because if you have people around that think opposite, it's really hard to, to, to maintain it because it's, it's like if you have a, like, I mean, it um, sounds bad, but if you have a rotten fruit in a fruit basket, it, it gets to you somehow. Right. And I think it's, beautiful that you have your podcast because that way you touch more people's lives in a good way and it's kind of also my mission i'm doing it in another way than you but i, I think it's great thank you thank you priscilla what questions do you have of us so for me the question is i mean you i mean you had your corporate career for example right and then you felt like you, you told me before when we had a chat that you basically changed to 
leadership training and training people how to get the connections they need to be, you know, successful, inspired, get the knowledge they, they need. But what was your emotional progress? I mean, it, I'm sure you are not just doing it for your audience and the people you, you train, but also for yourself. So what was your, your, your journey like? Because I mean, going from a big company or like from a safe job, I mean, it, I, I believe there's something that really drove you and that was probably from the way you, you know, talk and, and behave. It was not just the money and the freedom and, you know, these things, but what is really your, what really triggers you there? Want me to go first? Yes, please. Sure. So for me, like I said, 40 years in the corporate environment and a lot of different jobs, but such a large company, I was able to change roles probably every 18 to 24 months, right? And with a big company, that's a, that's a lot of different things. And what I noticed is towards the end of my career where I was drifting, right? And what I was drifting towards is areas of the company that were more philanthropic, And I'm very privileged to be able to work in some things like I worked in one group that helped to, their mission was to reduce preventable maternal mortalities around the world, right? So you get to start to do that. And the thing that was always in the back of my mind, I'd say for the last five years that I worked in the corporate environment was this concept of compassionate leadership, right? That leadership didn't need to be harsh and demanding and this and that. You can make up all sorts of stories, but you can lead from compassion. I didn't know what that meant. And when I left, you know, my corporate job, spent some time searching for it, but I do think there's a better way, right? That people, as you said, when you look at Ron, right, you feel accepted and belonging and what great environments to work in and bring to the world. So again, looking for something bigger than me, but bringing a way that people can lead through compassion, that people can lead through belonging to a group and helping others to belong and feeling safe and they produce their best and having fun. I like that one. Yes. And so I'll start mine with to have fun. That's why we're doing this, right? What I, what I, what I noticed as like going through my career was there were some pretty significant changes happening through the world. And it went from like when I started my career 40 years ago, 35 years ago, Top-down command and control was how organizations were run. That brilliant person was on top, and he told everybody what to do, and all those people told people what to do, and all those people told what people what to do. And God, it never worked for me. I mean, like I just, I just never worked. Never worked when somebody did it for me. I couldn't pass it down through. It felt inauthentic. It felt manipulative, and I had to create something that would work for me, so that I could become the self that I wanted to be, so I could get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and go. Good for another day. And what I noticed was, as what we noticed, is the world is changing, and it has a lot to do with the interconnectedness of us all, right? Now we can be connected like we are right now on this podcast in a, in a talking where we couldn't have done this even 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah. And because we can all be connected, the skill of how to build a connection authentically, open, is becoming more essential. And as we move away from, and it's already happening, moving away from this hierarchy approach where there's like one person on top, right? And they tell everybody what to do. Those companies that do that are getting beaten by ones who can be self-managed, self-led. So if we're going to be self-led, we got a group of six to eight people working together and they have different roles. Sometimes they lead, sometimes they follow. They're working back and forth. 
they will outperform a hierarchical based team like three to five to one. Like they're not just kind of out create them, they'll dominate them. And as that becomes like the part of what we see the future of the world is, well, then everybody needs to have the skills to be able to connect with each other, to trust each other, to believe in the other one so that you can actually be vulnerable and be authentic. And that's the future because the hierarchy organizations will be disappearing. I, I think you touched on another really interesting aspect that I actually found out really late, but what's really important is not just that you found out, like you found out that the leadership style, so not what is done, but how it's done, that it's not your style. And that's how you found basically your business personality. And a lot of people don't find that. And actually, a lot of people are, I believe, unhappy in jobs, not because of the job, but because they learned or they get told how to do things. And if you use your main strengths in the way how you achieve things, then you feel fulfilled and you are happy. And that's also what you are able to do now. I'm not sure what you would say. What are your, like, what is your approach? How, I mean, I, I could, I can hear a bit from you, Ron, how you do things. So you are more collaborative, you're accepting, you're appreciating and so on. But I mean, you, I, I, I guess you too, Michelle, you, de de you developed or you are developing your own style, right? In the way how, how you navigate also in the business world. And I think that's quite interesting. Well, I, I'll share my own background because it was, it was against maybe my morals. It was against my ethics to try to manage somebody in a way that wasn't authentically me. Yeah. And I've been run off of jobs and I've been run out of companies and I've been, you know, at different places around the world because I wouldn't do it the way everybody said you're supposed to do it. And that's, I was okay with, with being run off. That was not a problem. How to make it work was, was my, was what I was up to. Yeah. And then you get in a private conversation with people. They always go like, I don't feel like I'm me at work. I, I can't like go in and enjoy just being myself and I have to put on this shield or which was like a suit or an engineer's outfit or something else. Right. I just can't go in and be me. How do you do that? I go, I, I just be me. And it's okay. When people fight against you, don't fight back. But it takes courage. That's, to, that's how to, I went about it. Yeah. How about you, Michelle? Yeah. So for me, I, I definitely fell into that first category where, I knew the way was probably the norm for the company was not the way I wanted to be, right? And perhaps that's why I moved around quite so much in the company trying to find that spot within there. And I got pretty close towards the end, but it was time to kind of move out of there, right? And so I was fortunate and moved out. And so I was still searching for what does that mean? Like I said, I had this phrase called compassionate leadership, I had no clue what it meant, And then reconnected with Ron, we'd known each other for a lot of years, and through some of the techniques he has and the methodology, started to figure out how to change that, right? And and develop the techniques and develop the methods and to be confident in myself, right, of how to be authentic myself, which attracts other people to be authentic with me. So I knew it didn't, I knew what didn't work. I knew the not that. Got that one, but I didn't know the what until I started working with Ron. Yeah, that's that's great. I think one point you mentioned is like being vulnerable, and that's not that easy. 
So if you just try to be perfect and just, you know, like on social media or LinkedIn, just show the good stuff. It's like, it's not good. So I always try regularly. Also, if sometimes, you know, you lose followers or people tell you, why did you tell that? It's not like, but I think if you do that, you encourage people also to show their vulnerabilities. And I think that's, that's, that's nice. I think one question I have for you is, so, I mean, it sounds a bit dramatic, but so if you are, if you're dead someday, so what, what do you want to leave behind? What, not because of you, but I, I guess you are as me, like focused also on, on other people. So what would you like to have built or what, what would you like to leave behind? So I'll start with that and let you finish up with that one, Ron. For me, the the legacy, which I, I think is what you're describing, is to have built the company, the methodologies, and the access such that a lot of people, I don't know, is it 10,000, is it 50,000, is it 100,000 people have taken the training and learned to believe in themselves and learned to believe in others, right? So you make a little shift in the world towards a different place than it it may look like today. So I think that's for me. And it keeps going after I'm gone, right? It doesn't end there. There's enough sustainability nice. <laughs> to it that it, yeah. yeah, that it keeps going with whoever the next set of people or whatever continue. Thank you, Michelle. Go back to, I think it's Gladwell's book around uh, the tipping point. And that's to have an, uh, sufficient people learn this method and help us modify it as we go. Like, it's not like I got it figured out and I'm done. It's like, we're growing every day to figure out how to do it better and reaches enough point to where it begins to grow beyond us so that the people who are a hundred years from now, right. They don't feel alone. They feel like they can connect to people. They feel like when they want to want to do something, they go, not what do I do, but who do I do it with? And which one of the people in the world out there is the one I want to connect with and, and pull into this project to work on? Because that's where the real creativity of humans and the human spirit really come alive is when two people, three people, four people are coming together to create something new. And I think we've got a lot of challenges. We probably will always have a lot of challenges as, as humans. And the only, the only way we're going to solve them and continue to solve them is working together. And to have this tip and go bigger than that so that even if it's 100 years from now, nobody remembers that the, the name or where it started, but that people don't feel alone and they they feel like the first act is, who do I reach out to? Not, why did I screw this up? Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. And I think this is one, I think one key thing that after COVID, I think it got even more worse is that... Uh, I think loneliness is nowadays biggest disease. And I, I meet a lot of people that are super nice and so on. And, but uh, yeah, a lot of people have the problem and it really hurts me to see it because it's so avoidable. And so the bad thing is people feel alone. People feel that they are alone and they don't realize how many other people are there also feeling alone. And it's so avoidable. It, it, thank you, Priscilla. It is avoidable when you are aware that everybody else is alone too. Yeah. Right, that that you're reaching out to connect with somebody, they're more anxious to have you come and join them than you are. That's why you're the one coming up and talking. I think that's that's also one advice that generally, I think that's help that helps if you feel alone. That there are a lot of people feeling the same, 
So you're not alone feeling alone. That's the first part. And also because so many people feel alone, people will appreciate you reaching out. And I, I think if you focus more on the you possibly helping the other person instead of you making yourself vulnerable, I think it also gets easier, you know, to go out and, you know, just speak to people. My my son, Garrett, he, he said you should rename the company Never Be Alone Again. Yeah, I think that's a good name. Well, thank you. Priscilla, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners about how to reach out to you, connect to you, or anything else you'd like to share? I, I want to share that you're not alone, and generally everything is possible. I think the biggest limit we provide is we are limiting ourselves with the way we think. So I I wish that you feel and you think that you are not alone and you're lovable and you know there are a lot of people out there that appreciate you and it's it's beautiful that that you exist and there are a lot of people out there that that see it that way. And on the connecting part, yeah, I'm always happy, you know, to connect with people and to support if I can. And the easiest way is to reach out to me on LinkedIn under my name, Priscilla Shelf. There's just one with my spelling. There's one in the US, uh, but she has one L less. So yeah, you will find me. Great. Thank you, Priscilla. Thank you a lot, uh, Ron and Michelle. It was really nice uh, talking to you. And yeah, I I really love your podcast and I, I think it's great what you're doing and how it helps people. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. At Macklin Connection, we believe making authentic connections with others can literally change your world. We invite you to share this podcast with one person that you care about. Maybe it's someone you haven't spoken with in a really long time and you'd love to reconnect. Or maybe it's the first person that popped into your head when you listened to this podcast because you thought it would be perfect for them. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.